grab your Christmas lights and check your compass. It's time to enter the upside down. This is the Geek Confidential Podcast. discussing the Netflix original series, Stranger Things. Joining me, as always, I have my co-host, Craig Peters. Welcome. Hey, everybody. And welcome back, Melody Akles. Hey, hey. Now, both of you are responsible for me getting hooked on this show and watching all eight episodes in two days. So, Mel, I know you love this show. Give us a quick synopsis for those, and let me be, just say this. This is a spoiler-filled episode. If you haven't watched the show and are, are interested in it, go ahead and watch it before you listen. Otherwise, you're going to get spoiled. Mel, what was the what was Stranger Things about? Alrighty, Stranger Things. It is set in the early '80s, I believe, in a little small town somewhere up north. And um, there's a government agency there. There are a town full of people that live there. The story that we follow focuses on um, the story of four friends and their families. Well, they're young boys. They're in middle school, I would say. One of the boys goes missing. We don't really know what's happening. And during the show, you kind of see a little bit of both sides. I mentioned there was a government agency. There's a lot of shady stuff going down in this government agency. There's some kind of supernatural entity. We don't really know what's going on. There's a young girl who you later find out is telekinetic that can do all kinds of amazing things. Well, I mean, a young telekinetic girl ends up meeting up with our trio of boys now, since one of them has gone missing. And um, she's trying to, they want her to help them find their friend who has gone missing, who was in some strange place, which we later find out to be called the Upside Down. Is that not an awesome name? Yeah, I I love it. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. It is this alternate universe, much like our own. Everything looks the same, but it is literally upside down. You can't tell what's going on. I loved it. It was fantastic. There's this creature that is terrorizing everyone, which is what happened to our young, young character. And the rest of the show follows the story of his friends and the telekinetic girl trying to find out what happened to their friend. And along the way, all these strange things start going on. And, you know, our one of our, our youngest, our youngest friend, um, Mike, who I would say is probably the lead of the boys. He has a sister and a family and something happens to his sister's friend. There's this whole B story with the older teens of it's kind of like a little love triangle going on here. But she really wants to know what happens to her friends and you eventually find out and everything. But in the end, you know, everyone has to come together. The whole family, there's the police department, there's a chief who has a really important role in the story you know he's kind of our guy who has the most clarity i feel like of our characters and he 
kind of understands the way that these things work. You know, if you want one thing, you have to give another. And there's a lot of that going on. Winona Ryder plays the um, mother of the young boy who went missing. His name is Will. Her name is Joyce. And let me tell y'all something right now. Winona is fantastic in it. She told me to tell y'all that she didn't want to be known for shoplifting no more. She want to be known for her acting. You better get it, Winona. I was totally here for her. So, you know, we do in the end, like I said, everyone ends up having to come together to fight the government because in this instance, they are the big bad. They're the evil. They know what's going on, but they don't want to tell you. Hmm. Strange. Anyways. Imagine the government um, agency doing that. (laughs) Imagine. So odd. So, you know, any and everyone has to come together to figure out what happened to Will we do find out, you know, what happens to him. Does we do we get him back? Do we not get him back? Y'all should watch the series. I feel like we're gonna talk about it later, but you know, in case you're giving it a little bit the, of a go here, I'm not gonna give it away yet. The only but, person who doesn't come back is Barb, at least in season one. That's hard. They was looking for that poor child, and she had been dead for like three episodes. So you know, <laughs> <laughs> not the point. But I feel like the way it came together in the end, if. You know, if eight episodes is all we got, I would still be very happy with this series. With this series, so overall, it was fantastic. There we go. Okay, thank you very much. Let's talk a little bit about Winona Ryder. The five finger discount is a thing of the past because she is going to be using five fingers to pick up an Emmy nomination (laughs) and hopefully an award, in my opinion, or an award if she gets a nomination. She's fantastic as the mother who will not give up on her son. She doesn't believe what is happening. Opposite of her, you mentioned him, uh, David Harbour. He plays Chief Jim Hopper. And then we Mm -hmm. have Matthew Modine, who plays the government um, doctor, Dr. Martin Brenner. Craig, what was your first impression of Stranger Things? Oh, of course, I got everybody was... Again, it whispered to me, you know, guys, see Stranger Things, guys, she's see Stranger Things. My first impression was Stand By Me. That was my first impression, to be right out there. And then I started getting a little uh, Carrie and Firestarter and Close Encounters. And speaking of which, if you guys have seen Close Encounters of the Third Kind, when Nona is, is Dustin Hoffman all over again, she is obsessed. She is fierce. She uh, loved her character. She's totally off the wall from what she used to be. Um, and then of course came in a little bit of super eight and ET this, uh, my first impression, my second impression, my third impression is just awesome. It's like, again, as I've said before, it's, it's, it's Stephen King meets, meets Steven Spielberg. And the two Steve's got together and, and had a little, little tete a and ended up with birthing, um, birthing this TV show. They apparently had nothing to do with it, but this is so much those guys. And, just lovable, terrific. It is the anti. Uh, one of my great problems with the summer is Fear of the Walking Dead, which is a horrible, horrible TV show. Um, this Mel is the might have a thing or two to say about that, if I'm not mistaken. Well, we this... will get there later because. <laughs> okay, I hate every single character in Fear of the Walking Dead. I hate watching every hate watching every week. This is the anti that this is. I love every single character. I can't think of a character I could remove and take out. Everybody could die in fear of the walking dead here. I don't want anybody to die because I love them all. It's so, so good. Well, as Mel mentioned, will goes missing and lights flicker and he goes missing. And now it's up to his three friends, 
Mike, Dustin, and Lucas to find him. For me, the character of Dustin portrayed by, I'm not sure how this is pronounced and I apologize, Gaddon Matarazzo was the scene stealer of this show. His Every single scene he was in, he just grabbed it and ran with it, provided so much humor, so much comedy, but at the same time it was like, get it together, guys, because there's nothing more important than friendship. And he made sure that when his friends were falling apart, he said, do you not remember how when we... I don't remember the exact term, but they were playing D&D where they split up and went their ways and they were defeated playing D&D. He goes, this cannot happen to us again. It now, he says, we have to stick together or we will be defeated. He had so many of those wonderful moments. What did you think of the three friends looking for Will, Mel? Oh, I loved it. You know, Craig was talking about it. It felt very standby me. For me, it was very Goonies. You know, it's these kids and they kind of don't know what they're doing. They're flying by the seat of their pants, but they know they have this ultimate goal that they have to do it. You know, it's otherwise it's curtains. You know what I mean? So these three guys coming together and saying, look, our friend is missing. We know he's around. We have to save him was great. And I felt like it was very realistic because you have these three, you know, different very different personalities, but they all come together because they're all friends in their own way. You know, I kind of feel like we're all weirdos, but you know, somebody else can't come in and call you a weirdo because you're my weirdo. You know what I mean? Yep. So I, I felt like it was like that between them. You have Lucas who I feel like is the ultimate realist. He is a very, you know, the facts say this, this is what it is. This girl is crazy. We have to find our friend. You have Dustin who Luke mentioned is the really bright star of, the kids and I gonna have to agree with you there. He, to me, he was the friend that's kind of like, okay, well, this is our reality now and I'm just gonna roll with it. And I have all this supernatural knowledge and it's not fake anymore. It's really real. So we're going to have to base it off of that. And I'm going to try to keep everybody in check at the same time because y'all be tripping. So I like that about him. And Mike, I feel like is your ultimate optimist. He's like, well, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And this is, this is how it's going to go on. I really hope all this works out. So I feel like they really gelled well together and they're pretty good actors, these three kids. So I was kind of really impressed with all three of them. And I just, I like the way it went. It felt very, very Goonies, and that is not a bad thing. One of the biggest conflicts between Mike and Lucas was the was the character of Eleven, a.k.a. L. L was someone who Mike had a crush on, but who Lucas was like, this girl is causing us problems. She's responsible. She's pro- more than likely responsible for what's going on. They fight on multiple occasions over it, but then when he goes and does some spying on the government agency himself and discovers that the agents are coming for his friends and L he's like, guys get the hell out of there. And he goes to warn his friends. So even though he is pissed off at Mike, he's still willing to save him. Craig, what did you think of the three boys before we get to 11? Mel's never been a 12 year old boy. I, you know, I assume so, I can't say that I have. I'm, I'm <laughs> fresh out of boy here. And so. <laughs> <laughs> you probably can't address it, but I've, it felt, it really felt like I was 12 years old again and hanging out with, with one of my friends, Duke, and another friend, uh, 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 Fred, and, and that we were just heading down the railroad tracks. We are going across the railroad bridge. Um, we, it, it just, it felt all of that. It felt so much. Like 
like uh well it was the 60s for me but it felt so much like like doing all those things we did as kids and talking about the kind of things we did and and uh you know which superman could beat which which you know could superman actually beat green lantern because green lantern was magic and superman wasn't and so and uh, you know it just felt so much like that brought back to me in in real life and and watching these guys in interact Mike is kind of that that weird weirdo kid, you know, the way he looks a little different, looks a little odd, and kind of is a little odd, and kind of reacts to things a little a little differently. Every every group of guys, uh, young guys, has that one character who who everybody says kind of looks at askance and says, "Really, that's how you're going to react?" And uh, uh, Dustin, he he reacts a little. He reacts like he knows a lot about everything, and he, he has this great grasp of uh, of Dungeons and Dragons and and the game area, and he's creating this this world within the real world of of Dungeons and Dragons. And of course, uh, it was before Dungeons and Dragons when I was a kid, but it was that kind of thing. We all created our own little little world, looks at things a little differently, and we had our own almost secret language where you know we understood things and we looked at things and we gave each other those those glances looked at each other askance saying yeah that's what happened the other day and uh, and then and then Lucas kind of is uh, oddly enough he's kind of the settled one he's the one that um that looks at things a little more practically than the other two the other two are in the uh, different world where Lucas has him grounded so it's that it's just like a friendship of nearly every 12 three 12 year old kids I went through with my own kids and going through with my grandkids. Now it's all this, this little world that's separate from everybody else. And then of course, 11 walks in and whenever a girl walks into that mix of three guys who've established relationships, you always have some funny things that happen. And, and then of course she's the, she's bald. She's got these weird powers and she's, she's, I think she's the, uh, uh, the star of the of the, the the children. I think she's just amazing. She does that role so well. Let's talk about Eleven, who's portrayed by Millie Bobby Brown. Uh, the character uh, shows up having escaped from the government facility. Um, she first shows up at a little diner where a, the big guy who's the cook feeds her and calls the for help from social services. And instead someone from the government agency comes, shows up and shoots him in the head. So immediately she is on the run. She ends up with Mike, Dustin and Lucas. And immediately her presence starts upending their relationships as Craig mentioned. And Mike's obviously interested in her. Dustin's a ride for along for the ride. Lucas doesn't like her at all, but she, they, (laughs) they discover that she has a connection to, or might be able to help them find, uh, will. And so they let her stay around and she stays in Mike's basement. As we, the story progresses, we end up seeing her help them try to locate will. There are a number of scenes they and we are given insight into her backstory where she's been held captive and she's went through all of these tests and because she is able to eavesdrop on Russians um, during the Cold War. I mean, it was the sci-fi and that I'm not exactly sure how it all worked, but because of the upside down, which, like I said earlier, is possibly one of the best names I've ever heard for something like that. She is able to go through the upside down and eavesdrop on whoever the government wants her to, which is why the government is hunting her after she escapes. And so she's now using those abilities to help locate Will. We see her manifest those powers. We see her flip over 
vans that are chasing them. We see her throwing people of like across rooms telekinetically. We see... didn't you expect her to cause bicycles to fly, Luke, at some point? I don't know if I go that far, but considering how much the '80s nostalgia is is in this show, it wouldn't have surprised me. She she has like she'll make people drop dead when people are in danger, and yet she also conveyed this very empathetic aspect that you were like you're rooting for her, even though she's this badass kid, and in the end she sacrifices herself. Though, we'll discuss it in a little while, whether or not she's dead could be a question. Mel, what did you think of Eleven? Oh, such a fantastic character, such a fantastic actress. I like the way the character-wise with Elle that they made everything such a slow build. You know, you didn't ever truly know the extent of her power until the very end. And even then you still didn't know. I mean, every episode, it got a little bit more. I mean, we saw her do little things, you know, she might trip somebody up. She might throw somebody against the wall. She threw Lucas across the field and made him crash into the, um, and into the car. She made the boy pee his pants. She made the boy pee his pants. I mean, slowly, but surely you see just how much, you know, she's telepathic. She's (laughs) telekinetic. She can astral project. This girl can literally, do it all but there's one you know downfall to all of that is that it drains her so much you know she her everything starts bleeding her nose bleeds her eyes bleeds her, she starts bleeding out of her ears you know and you see that the more power that she uses the more it drains her the more i guess it is it killing her do we really know because it looks like after she would sleep it off she would get better so maybe she has that whole rapid healing thing like wolverine has i mean you don't know. You don't know. You don't it, know. It, it I, definitely I like... plays on the fantasy element of a mage yeah. whose powers uses um, up his essence to fuel magic and then has to replenish. Yes, I agree. I agree. And I, I like the way all of it was done. And, you know, she doesn't have a lot of lines. And I thought for such a young actress to be able to convey everything that she did without saying a lot is a testament to her. You know, she's pretty fantastic to be so young because for me, at least, you know, watching things, it takes a lot more for me to understand you and convey you without you saying a lot than you having a whole page of dialogue. You know what I mean? So that's really a testament to her because I kind of you kind of always knew what she was feeling, but she didn't ever really say a lot. So in that aspect, I thought. She was fantastic. And I like the way you were talking about Luke, you know, a boy, her presence really kind of separates our friends here, you know, our trio of guys, because Lucas doesn't like it at all because he feels like she's stealing away his best friend. You know, this is my friend and you can't have him. And, you know, he really didn't like that aspect. And it took him a long time to finally realize, hey, she really is trying to help us. And I like that Dustin was nope nope that's not yes his name that dustin was kind of really the peacemaker of everything he's like look you two you need to get it together because the goal here is to find will and y'all are mad over this different stuff and i know i haven't been here as long as everybody but look we are friends and we need to keep it that way so and he and he had that bro code down he was like you Mm -hmm. took first blood (laughs) you have to be the one to offer to shake the hand yep and i like that but you know back to l such a fantastic little girl. I hope in the I hope she is still alive. You know, we'll see. We'll talk about it at the end when we get there. But I, I hope that she's still alive because I feel like this show cannot have a second season without Elle or something like Elle or something. So I okay. I really enjoyed Elle. Craig, what, what did you I, think of Elle? 
Well, first of all, I've told Luke so many times and all of my other friends that nobody ever really dies in comic book or fantasy. They always come back. So, And trust me, I've seen so many that you couldn't possibly have died that uh, or couldn't not possibly have lived come back. So I'm sure she'll be back. No doubt about it. She's got to. But I love Elle. I think she's, I think she's really what, what brings this whole show together, that she... She is a, a tremendous focus, and they've done it before. Like I mentioned earlier, Firestarter and uh, Poltergeist, for example, that little girl in Poltergeist who who eventually dies. She brought that whole movie together. That's what Elle brings to this. To this is all the boys are, are centered around her. The whole story is centered about her being captured by the evil Matthew Modine character. Um, it, Everything, every moment she's on the screen, I can't wait to see what's going to happen next. When she puts on the little blonde wig, it's like a, it's like a transformation, and it, not only to us as the audience, but to her as a character. She's now got on a blonde wig, and she's really a little girl. First time she seems like a little girl rather than as a science experiment. And of course, she has these incredible powers. And this is the these three boys are the first people she's ever seen who really cared about her. And and her needs, as opposed to um, the evil scientist's needs, and the like you said, hunting down the Russians. And of course, part of the backstory of this that they don't talk about is that the Russians during the eighties were doing experiments to try to maximize psychic powers in human beings. That's I don't know how true that is, but it certainly was all over all over that the, the Russians were in the fantasy world in the science fiction world that the Russians were doing these experiments to try to get people to be psychic. So I'm sure that this, uh, this 11 story plays off on that as time goes by. But yeah, she's, she is the central character in this whole thing with her on one side and Winona Ryder on the other, uh, of this story. It's just, it just works so incredibly well. And, and I hated to see what happened to her, but like I said, I am sure she'll be back. She has to be. Well, while Mike, Dustin, Lucas, and L are trying are driving the primary storyline, we have probably the C storyline because Winona Ryder's storyline is probably B. Um, the C storyline was the was the actual teens, which was Mike's older sister Nancy, portrayed by Natalia Dyer. She is a girl who is a goody goody in high school. And she has a hot boyfriend. And then there's this other boy, Jonathan, who is the older brother of Will, who is the, guy, the boy who's missing. Um, who's, and Jonathan is lurking about, sort of, and is interested in Nancy, but she doesn't really have eyes for him. But they, they have a very classic 80s triangle. And it's, that was part of the nostalgia that I enjoyed. It was like, okay, this gives their relation, their triangle gives me that vibe. I thought that Dyer did a fantastic job. I went and had to look her up on IMDb because she looks so familiar to me. It's like, I know I've seen her somewhere, but it turned out that I hadn't, but she was just that enjoyable. She, um, goes to a party and with her friend, Barb, who is portrayed by Shannon Purser. And at that party, she's wanting Barb to make sure that she stays on the straight and narrow and doesn't do anything with Steve. Well, we get to the party. She ends up in the pool. Her clothes are wet. And then she thinks, you know, maybe I will go all the way with Steve. So she has. Oh, come on, Luke. 
she was a good girl looking to do bad from the okay, very first. I, I'm giving her the benefit of the doubt. Oh, no benefit uh, of the doubt. She, she had she had known what she wanted to do all along. Come on, come on. So she okay. she just, basically tells. Go ahead, Melly. Tell him, Mel. She okay. Let me let me just go ahead. I'm a clip. Okay. Nancy is your typical teenage dumbass, okay? I'm just yes. going to go ahead on and throw that out there. She's the little good girl who pretends to be good, but really in actuality, all she wants to do is ride a little bit of D like the rest yes. of the teenage girls do, okay? And her friend, Barb, is trying to help her out. She's like, look, I don't know about this. You know how he is. You know his friends. and You shouldn't do this. And Nancy's like, I'm not going to do anything. Ha, ha, ha. Low-key, she already brought herself some new underwear because she knew what she was going to do. She knew good and well she was going to go over to Steve's house and give him a taste. She knew she was going to do that. And she yep. drugged Nancy there because just in case she decided she drew Barb, to check out, Barb. she Oh, I'm sorry. She drugged Barb there because just in case she decided to chicken out, she had a way to get out because Barb is the one that had the car. Well, she was having a good time. You know, she was drinking beers, doing stuff that she normally didn't do because she wanted to look cool in front of Steve and all his little jackhole friends. And poor Barb ends. Poor Barb ends up getting hurt because she wanted to try to shotgun a beer. And Barb is not cool like that. She's a little bit of a square. She hurt herself. So in the end, Nancy ends up telling Barb to go home because she knew she already decided in her mind, "Hey, I'm a screw Steve. Barb, I don't need you. You can go home." First of all, way to diss your friend who had your back this whole time. Well, you know, she's, never, well, she's never she, been a 15 year old girl, Luke, and I knew that Melanie had so. <laughs> <laughs> and like, oh, I can't stand that because it's true. It's true, and stuff like that really does happen. You know, I just want you to come, so I don't do anything. Blah blah. blah. You knew what she was gonna do the whole time. Where you got me at this party? Why did you drag me here in the first place? I'm not gonna do this with her today. I've not been the bad boy with the with the good girl. I know exactly what was <laughs> going on. <laughs> so you know, she sent Barb home, and Barb was sad in her feelings because her best friend did dissed her for some d bag that she wanted to get in the pants of, and she told her not to do that. And what does poor Barb get for her troubles for her trying to be a good friend? The monster comes and eats her at the pool while Nancy is He's getting her getting get some off a of Dickly Wickly. I don't understand. This don't make no kind of sense. Like, Barb, Barb got the short end of the deal here. And, and the whole time that's going on, Jonathan is taking pictures. So, okay, so Jonathan he, is lurking because Jonathan he's looking is, for he, Will. He is. is he was creepy. looking for his brother, but then, you know, he came across this party and he decided to be real creepy. Like, and I, ooh, it makes it hard to defend him on that one because I really do like Jonathan because I feel like Jonathan is that weird kid that nobody talks to, but he's a good kid. You know, he takes care of his brother. He goes to work for his family. Tries to do it right by his mom. Exactly. You know, he's trying to help his mom. He's a good kid. He's just a little bit of a weird kid. And I feel like we all had that one friend growing up. At least I know I did. That was a little weird, but they were a good person. You know what I mean? Overall, they had the little weird tendencies and things. It was like, okay, I'm not going to do this with you anymore, but you know, I talk to you and hang out with you because you're cool for the most part. So I kind of feel like that's Jonathan. You you make me look good when you're around. That's the friend I'm talking about. Well, the the three of them, the three of those three, Jonathan, uh, Nancy, and Steve, end up in the finale, uh, in their own version of the finale, because while Winona Ryder's character Joyce and Chief Jim Hopper are off in the Upside Down, these three are back at the buyer's house, and they are trying to trap one of the 
I'm going to call it demon for no better word, um, that is basically responsible for kidnapping Barb and Will. What I found most surprising about that was how much Steve ended up, even though he was a douchebag, came in and sort of somewhat redeemed himself. And the whole time I'm watching this, I'm like, this is so 80s. What did you think of this teen storyline, Mel? And then I'll go to Craig before we go on to the adults. Okay, so I didn't mind the teen story at all. It was actually kind of interesting because, you know, you do follow Nancy. You get a little bit of her story. And while Nancy did get on my nerves, most of the time she was trying to find her friend after she had ditched her and pretty much dismissed her because for this little D-bag of a boyfriend that she had, you know, she really did love her friend. She was trying to, to find her friend and she ends up, you know, in a weird way getting closer with Jonathan, who is Will's brother, because they have a common interest. They are both looking for people that they love that they don't know what happened. And they realize that strange things are happening in their town. And I, I loved that whole scene with um, Jonathan and Nancy where they're in the forest and, you know, they're looking for them and Nancy finds, you know, the portal. She finds the gate. She crawls through the tree into the upside down and you finally, it finally clicks of everything what's going on. It's just like, oh my gosh, you know, I knew there was alternate universe of some kind. I just didn't know. I knew there was, there has to be a way to get in, a way to get out because somehow the demon's using this. So to see her, you know, crawl through this tree and she's in the upside down and you see, she sees the demon and she tries to get away and she's calling for Jonathan and he's calling for her and they're in the same spot, but also in the universes. I thought that was fantastic. I love that whole thing. But, you know, along the way, you have Steven who's being very mean to Jonathan because, you know, he's a weird kid. He's not popular. He's got these d-back friends too and you know and steven ends up breaking jonathan's uh camera because of some suspicious pictures and all kinds of things you know and then it all culminates to um you have nancy and jonathan you know they've set all these traps in the house for the demon they're gonna catch and i love that scene too where they're buying all of the <laughs> they're buying all of their tools the traps to catch the demon and the guy at the army surplus store is like what are you guys doing and nancy's like mm, monster hunting he's like mm, okay, okay. Cool. I'm, only I'm cool in america that. can you buy that many bullets gasoline <laughs> traps and, and like say monster hunting and it work I love it. it in the eighties, in yeah. the eighties. Yeah, right? Well, 80s. you might even still be well in some places no. in America. You might be able to, but maybe not that much. Um, maybe a gun show. A gun uh, show. So I thought, I thought it was great, you know. And in the big Coven is seen in the house of where Steve goes over because he thinks that Jonathan Byers is doing something weird to Nancy. You know, Steve has kind of had his comeuppance because earlier before that. Steve decided he wanted to run off at the mouth to the wrong person. And that was Jonathan. He got his ass beat for it. And I was here for all of that. But, um, you know, he goes over to the buyers and he doesn't know what's going on. And will and not will Lord Jesus, (laughs) Jonathan and Nancy are kind of waiting for the demon. The demon shows up and Steven is freaking out and he doesn't know what to do. But he ends up becoming our savior because he did come in with baseball bat and help him out and everything. So I thought that story it was good. It was good for a sea story. They didn't focus too much on it. I yeah, felt like it was it a perfect was just balance. Yep. It was just enough. And then, you know, in the end, I didn't like who she yeah, chose. Yeah, we will, we'll discuss yeah. that in a little bit. Craig, we'll Craig, now, one of the things that I found interesting about this was in a lot of 80s movies and television, the out-of-touch father 
is a cliche that you see often. Now, you were a father during the 80s. Were you an out-of-touch father? And what did you think of this teen storyline? No, I was pretty much I was pretty much an in-touch father back then. But, but I knew a lot of guys that weren't. Not necessarily of their own choosing, like the guy in this in this film. But I obviously hated the guy for for why why he wanted to get back in touch with his teen, why he was talking about ooh lawsuits and oh I was referring to Nancy's dad. I wasn't even thinking of Will's dad. I was thinking of Nancy's oh. dad being like the out of touch cliche eighties father and that you see in like all the movies. But anyways, <laughs> that's okay. The, it, I, I it was what you're saying. it was the eighties. There were a lot of out of touch fathers. And yeah. A lot of, lot, what did you of think of the teen storyline? I I loved it. I you know I I could. Again, I'm using movie references, but it, some of it reminded me of uh, of Carrie when the girl at the end is going to Carrie's grave. She's so she's so <laughs> sad, and and how awful that Carrie was killed. And I uh, I kind of felt that that uh, that Carrie feel where Nancy dissed her friend, sent her away, knowing that knowing that she was going to do the the wild thing. Um, and then of course she felt guilty after that she sent her friend away because her friend was just trying to protect her. And so all of a sudden she's got all this remorse as I said in the Carrie story. And, and I just felt that was, it felt so real and so accurate. And then, and now she's trying to, to do everything she can to find her friend. And she's, she's trying to make up for the fact that she was so dismissive of, of her good friend, Barbara. And, uh, and so she's, she's willing to do anything. And she brings these, which is pretty classic. And it's happened to so many of us guys. She brings all of her, all these guys in to help her make up for everything. And of course the guys are, Sure, we'll do whatever you want. We'll do whatever you want. We'll get bullets. We'll get we'll get all this equipment. We'll go out and hunt the hunt the. It was a monster in my estimation. Um, we'll hunt the monster with you. We'll help you. And and but there was that moment that you mentioned where she goes into the to the tree, and I thought of Alice down the rabbit hole. Yep. You guys, yep. It was Alice going down the rabbit hole. It was it was Pan's labyrinth with fewer demons. Uh, but it was, it was uh, that feeling that she's going into the nowhere and is, can she ever come back? And then of course I'm using kind of a literal literary reference here, but then she's rebirthed into the real world after having met the, met the demon. And, um, I, it, I just, I loved every single moment of watching this be created. I knew where it was going. It didn't feel predictable though. It was kind of what I expected. Um, I, it absolutely, I, I grew to really love this Nancy character. She went from being kind of a, you know, throwaway character to this, this quintessential, super strong, powerful friend. And, uh, at the end I was just absolutely rooting her on going, go for it. You know, let's, uh, so yeah, I, every single moment of the teen story seemed right on. Um, uh, even, even the one friend who was really the strong friend. Who basically let his other buddy have the have the power? That part of that that story, and of course the other buddy gets beaten up because of it. Uh, just I've seen it, I've known it, and it just it just felt so so in touch. With okay. Well, before we move on to the uh, uh, the parent storyline, um, I just wanted to touch on Barb real quick because when I first asked Craig about it, I said. Barb has become really popular with a the gay segment of the viewership because I was reading seeing all these articles in my Twitter feed and I asked him about it. In following up, I was like, okay, I totally see why people like Barb. And so the, 
uh, there was they um, the creators of the show, Matt and Russ Duff, uh, Ross Duffer, did an interview with IGN and were asked whether or not she'd make a return to season two. And uh, Matt replied, I can't see that happening, but Barb will not be forgotten. We'll make sure that there's some justice for Barb. People get very frustrated, under, understandably, that the town doesn't seem to be really, really dealing with Barb. That stuff is all happening. We're just not spending any screen time on it in this first season. So there will be justice for Barb in some form next season, but she won't necessarily be back as a character. Which brings us to the adults. While the little boys and uh, Elle are trying to solve one mystery and going down their path, and the teens are going down another path trying to solve the same mystery, Winona Ryder and David Harbour are Joyce and uh, Chief Jim Hopper. They are searching for answers themselves. Joyce is basically going insane to everyone else's from everyone else's perspective. She's filling her houses with lights, writing the alphabet on a wall so that her, uh, Will can contact her and spell out warnings and clues on the wall. Uh, the chief is investigating the government agency and at one point breaks into the complex and discovers the um what he an entrance to the upside down and then is drugged ends up back in his trailer house trashes his trailer house and discovers that it's now been bugged he goes to joyce they end up teaming up to try and get answers and they run in to matthew modine's dr martin brenner who is hunting for the boys and is basically to make a very long story short that is very good and you should Too watch late. Matthew Modine's character, Dr. Martin, cuts a deal with the police chief, basically saying, we'll get Eleven back if you help us get the boys back and we don't ever mention it again. Mel, what did you think of those three characters? I thought they were really great characters because, you know, we've got a younger set of kids around. We have an older set of kids. So, of course, we needed an adult set. And I feel like they were two types of adult sets you have the really hands-on adult set and that's Winona Ryder's character and uh Detective Hopper they were you know your hands on they're in the thick of things they know exactly what's going on they pulled the kids into it because they're in the thick of it and then you have Mike's parents who have no idea what's going on in their own house they have no idea their son has hid a girl a girl in the basement for like a week had no clue and nancy's going off and she's sleeping with people and people are dying they have no idea they have in no the mother's defense she she tried to get nancy to talk to her yeah she wasn't trying hard enough because let me no. tell you my mama my mama had her ways i couldn't i could not lie to that woman <laughs> indeed so she was not trying hard enough let me just just go there so but going back to you know hyper and uh, joyce who is winona writer's character really really fantastic because you have hopper who you know he's gone through tragedy before you know he had a daughter she got real sick and she ended up dying so i kind of feel like that was his connection to will because you know joyce came to him and she was saying you know help me and i'll do my son's missing help so there's that you know missing child thing that so they have their connection there and you know he's he's the chief so he has to protect his town and he knew something was going on you know with the government agency there he ended up sneaking in and that's when he realized ding 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 they are not what they say they are something strange is going on here i gotta give some more help then you have joyce who is you know your quintessential mother i say you know mother's they don't give up on their kids. They tend not to, you know, and it, it was really great to see a mother character that like that, you know, where 
her son is missing and they've quote unquote found the body and she still didn't believe it because she knew that wasn't her son because she knows her son. She knows what he looks like. She knows everything. And I feel like the birthmark that's very even. true. Yeah. And that's very true because my mom does that. I remember I, I went off, I went off to college and came back and I got my ears pierced and I didn't tell I got my ears pierced. And I, oh. before, before I even walked in the door, I was in my car. She goes, you got your ears pierced. She didn't even say hi. Because she knew, she knows, she knows me. I'm her child. She knows, you know, she knows me probably she better smelled, than I know. She me. sniffed, she sniffed and smelled you through the she, wall. She, she knew it. She already knew. You know what I mean? I feel yeah. like that's very real, realistic for a mother to look at her child's body and she knows. She knows off the bat, you know, it came from her. So she knows. And I kind of really like that. And I like that she refused to give up on her son. You know, all the, th- the scenes of Joyce going to the pharmacy where she works <laughs> and demanding all of these things from her the boss. owner of the pharmacy, which I think is hysterical. He's like, oh, Joyce, you know, I can't ring it up. Like all of that was so fantastic because I feel like that's totally realistic. Like that's a mom. My mom does not give up on her children. She does not do it. So she figured out the thing with the lights and the correlation between the upside down and will. And she draws the alphabet on the wall, which I thought was really really smart and well written because I'm like oh that is fantastic and you see it all over the internet now you know with the lights on the wall and people playing around with it and everything so I thought that was really great and you know she wasn't just a mother to Will she was a mother to the rest of the boys she was a mother to Elle she was kind of just the mother figure of the show and she nailed it so there we go Craig what did you think this is what I thought. Winona Ryder, I don't know. I'm going to go back to Close Encounter of the Third Kind with uh, with uh, Richard Dreyfus when he's building building an earth. Uh, he's building this uh, uh, Devil's Mountain in in Wyoming, and that that incredible obsession and intensity was Winona Ryder trying to find her child. So where that was a real guy thing. This is a real a real mother thing, as Mel said, where she she is so she makes herself look completely insane completely obsessed like a drug addict who's is seeking her seeking her one drug which is her son and so she's got christmas lights everywhere she's watching them blink on and off and everybody's going to say this is a freak this woman is really insane everybody's looking at her like i don't want to be within a mile of her but of course jim he he ends up somehow buying it all and getting into the mix and he, he, he's a put-upon, just frazzled. He doesn't want to be in the world anymore. He's a, he's a, a cop that's, gone, that's seen just too much. And this is way more than he ever wanted to see in his life. Well, he gets involved with her in trying to hunt down her kid and trying to solve the problems that no one could solve because this is completely out of anybody's ballpark. And I, I just watched this thing descend. Afraid it was going to go into into some really other world where no, it this is real life, real real involvement between the two of them, and they're both. Oh, by the way, wouldn't you love to have the cigarette concession on this show? I mean, really, <laughs> think about that for a moment. You'd make an absolute fortune. It is '80s. I mean, people are smoking everywhere in this thing, but uh, yeah, that. The, the the adults getting together and, and getting this this all worked out was just it was just amazing and every single moment was something you wanted to see you wanted to see more of and and see the relationships get that that involved what did you think of modine you were going to say something about him matthew modine i lo- i've always loved matthew modine i mean he is uh, he is he's always been you know one of my favorite good guy characters and 
I right now I literally hate his character in 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 a good way. I you know he 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 seems like he's good and he's hugging his kind of giving a emotional hug to the to poor Eleven who's his his kind of daughter in this in this thing, but he's using her and abusing her and. I mean, uh, it's creepy how bad how bad I feel about about him and his relationship with Al, and how she would probably kill him if she if she could get over this fact that there's a sick sense of love and and it, it, but he is so good in this role and seems I mean he doesn't seem like he ought to be an evil guy but in this role he just seems so so creepy slimy evil and okay. and just. I mean, he does it. He does it extremely well, by the way, which I never would have dreamed that that he could. But yeah, it's he's done a terrific job in making me really hate him. Okay, well, I'm going to bring this up, and we're going to tie up some loose ends before we get to talking about the nostalgia and the cinematography aspect of it. We get to the end. Eleven sacrifices herself. We think until we get the very end, last scene where. Chief Hopper goes out into the woods and leaves Eggo Waffles and something else for her or in a container. Eggo Waffles obviously being the thing that she loved and she had been eating in the in the earlier in the series um, or earlier in the season, whatever you want to call it. So there is that question. Obviously, we found out that Barb is going to be vindicated. There will be justice for her in the next season, if it, assuming it gets one. The it better. The boys have all reunited, though their Will is eating Christmas dinner with his mom and his brother, and he goes into the bathroom and he coughs up one of the bugs from the upside down that had been inside of his like in when he was finally found in the upside down, there was a bug like animal attached to his mouth, and they had to pull it out to free him. And so on Christmas Eve, a month later, he is goes into the bathroom, looks at himself in the mirror. He takes and transitions like there's a scene where we go from our world to the upside down and then back. And he coughs up one of these like slugs, which, of course, is a great cliffhanger as well. One of the things that I wasn't happy about in like in the one month later scenes, the Christmas scenes, was that Nancy was with Steve. They're sitting Ugh. on the couch. They end up getting a, a a camera for Jonathan to like make up to the fact that Steve broke the previous one. But she was with Steve, so I was like, if they are come back for a second season, I'm gonna need that fixed. Jonathan and Nancy are gonna have to be together because I am totally shipping Jonathan and Nancy. Um I'm not sure if there's anything else that I'm missing in terms of the characters. Mel, what did you think of those final scenes? Oh, the final scenes were so fantastic. You know, this show really was, I keep saying it, it was a great slow build. And it gave you the payoff you wanted to see. You know, you finally, the government finally catches up with our main characters. You finally see the the demon creature, you know, um, Nancy and Jonathan and Steve wounded it, you know, and then it disappeared, you know, where it went and it ends up coming to, you know, L and the government and the characters and it's the big showdown of, you know, is it going to happen? Are they going to be able to get it? And L comes through strong like the G that she is and she knows that, you know, since she was the one who created the crack, 
in the two universes that, you know, let the demon in. She had to be the one to close it. So we don't know exactly what happened to her. We hope she's alive. The chief is leaving Eggos for her. So there's things like that. And, you know, it kind of, it wrapped up nicely just in case. Cause I felt like they didn't know if they were going to get a second season and they only got eight episodes. So when you get such a short episode order like that, it's the network saying, okay, we're going to take a chance. We're going to, we're going to say here, have these episodes. If it, in case it doesn't work out, Hey, you had eight with nobody. And there's no wins, no losses here. How much you want to bet there's 12 next season? Like say, Oh, a, there a better devil. Be, there better be 12 next season because I immediately needed, you know, 20 more episodes <laughs> after I finished the eight that I watched. But you know, there's a, there's a good place. I liked all this stuff where, like you were talking about um, Luke with Will, you know, he's finally back and we think everything's okay, but it's not really okay. And I feel like that was good because you can't spend a whole week or however long he spent in the Upside Down without it changing you, without it becoming a part of you. So that was a good, you know, cliffhanger, a good open end for them to delve back into that because, you know, he's back, but is he really back? Is all of him back? I agree that we need to rectify the situation of Nancy being with Steve because I don't like any of that. Steve is, ugh, ugh, he <laughs> disgusts me. Ugh, he's just, like, like I said, uh, Nancy is your typical teenage dumbass. Steve is your typical teenage douchebag. So, uh, he needs need a haircut at least. <sighs> oh, but that was very 80s. The adjustment. So I, there was a lot of that, but I, I, I'm excited to see where the show goes in the second season because I feel like there's lots of possibilities of places they can go. And if it's anything like these eight episodes, bring it on. Craig, what did you think of the final I, made, scenes? I, it made me so hungry. I've always wanted a Waffle House in the town where I live, and I was ready to go to get chicken and waffles in that scene. I do not understand chicken and waffles. <laughs> that that has it to is, be it has it to be is a southern savory thing. And sweet, it is oh. savory and sweet together, and it is amazing. They put a Lolo's in in Omaha, chicken and waffles place. The food is so good and so so evil. But it's it's all about chicken and waffles there, and I just love it. So I was so hungry. I wanted waffles so badly. They just but they cost like six bucks if you go to go to Perkins or something. So it made me hungry. It made me want the waffles, and it it made me love Elle even more. And of course, Jim. It made me. I mean, oh my God, he's leaving waffles for the poor girl. I love that. Absolutely love that. Yep, oh, I Steve. forgot to ask, what do you think of the deal that the, the chief made with the government agency? Because he got into that car, rode off with them, and then it, that cuts to black. And then we see the one month later, which is at Christmas. What do you think the deal was, Craig? I, that he was going to keep his mouth shut and kind of let things go as they may and 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 not squeal on him, not go to the press, not go to the uh, TV outlets and, and just going to keep his mouth shut. You know, you, you cover our back. I'll cover your back. We'll, we'll be cool. Uh, who knows? Maybe you got to check out of it too. But See, I was wondering was, if all of a sudden he was going to be working for him. See, I kind of think that's what the deal was for me. I feel like it was, okay, I need to get this kid and, you know, reunite this family and make everything right. So I feel like he went in there and made a deal of, okay, I need to go into the upside down. I need to go into the place and in exchange, you can have me take me, do what See, you want that, with me, like, blah, blah, blah. I will work for you because I'm the sheriff of the town. So I'll keep everything under wraps. I won't go to the press. Like Craig was saying, yeah. that was kind of the deal. 
don't see, know if and, he's going to actually work for See, him, but, but that was yeah. what I was wondering, because the original deal was, we'll keep our mouths shut as long as we can get the kids back, and you can have 11. So when he drives off with them, and then we see later that he's giving food to her, or we believe food f- to her, that made me think, like, wait a minute, maybe he went beyond their original deal. Maybe yeah. he's now working for them in some capacity, and is basically in on the cover-up as opposed to being the person who is working against it. Well, let's talk a little bit about the other big aspect of this, which was the nostalgia, the 80s, the cinematography, the clothes, the, well, we can't have a podcast without talking about hair, and we've already discussed Steven's hair (laughs) to some respect, but what did you guys think? Mel, you graduated from film school. What did you think of the 80s cinematography from the logo and the intro to everything involved to down to the soundtrack oh i loved it i felt like they were spot on on a lot of things you know they had the costuming down they had the scenery down they had the 80s feel the 80s you know um look down i feel like because it even looked like stand by me it looked like goonies it looked like et you know what i mean yep so i i feel like a lot of it was really well done i didn't have a problem with any of the shots i thought it was beautifully done so they were spot on for all of that with me i didn't have a problem with any of it and since you don't remember much of the 80s i'm sure because oh. you're, you're this young whippersnapper, oh. unlike me, who was born in the last year of the 70s. I don't want to hurt nobody's feelings. Yeah. But, uh, Craig, you actually can remember more of the 80s than either Mel or I, even though I do remember a good chunk of it. What did well, you think of the nostalgia? Well, people don't really realize it, but uh, Stand By Me was 1959, supposedly. And I was eight in 1959. So I remember this time period intimately. And they... It looked like a small town in Indiana who held on to its 1950s roots and couldn't let go. The kids looked like they were dressed in in, uh, in even earlier than 80s clothing, but it, it worked because it it's in you know, a small towns they kind of hold on to their their past. So it yes, it felt very much like uh, like a small town in the 1980s. I was working in small towns in the 80s, and it felt very much like holding on to the old nobody's everybody's kind of got their own role um that's what really felt good is everybody's got their own role in these small towns i can remember a town where where a guy every day got on his driving lawnmower and drove in from the country into the city to have his coffee for for two hours and get back on his his lawnmower and drive back out and that's what this film felt like a real not just 80s but a real small town environment where everybody knows everybody everybody knows everybody's scuttlebutt it's just nobody seems to know what the kids are actually doing. They're getting away with so much because they're so trusted by the parents, as as we t- already talked about. The parents being clueless, so they're all the stuff their kids are going going out and pulling on the on the side. And so, yeah, every bit of it felt really small townish, really much much like uh, uh, thirty years ago. It, it I just loved every bit of it, and the the clothing felt right, the hairstyles felt right. The weird, some of the hairstyles were weird, which of course we saw with Steve and and his buddy. Uh, yeah, this was this was so well recreated and so nostalgic that I that's why it brings up all these old movies that that came from the seventies and eighties. So yeah, I I think they did a terrific job with that and making the characters feel like they came from uh, quite a ways in the past too. Okay. 
Well, normally with movies, we give five-star ratings for movies. We don't tend to do that for television shows, though in this case, watching Netflix shows often feels like just watching a really long movie. So we will give it five star uh, out of a five-star rating. Mel, out of five, what would you give it? Mm, can I give like four and a half? Can okay, we you can do yeah. halves and quarters. Craig, out of five? Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it a five. I've never... I have seldom seen anything as addictive and as viral as this has been on TV. I mean, it's it's a phenomenon, so it's got to be a five for me. And I'm going to give it a four and a half as well. It was, I mean, it was pretty darn near perfect. I can't think of anything that I ab- have to complain about it other than Steve, but that's a storyline aspect that I get why they're doing it, so I can't really complain about even that. I'm going to give it a four and a half out of five as well. We would encourage you to comment on this episode. Now, uh, Daytime, or not Daytime Confidential, Geek Confidential, I had planned on launching it uh, this last week, but some technical things happened, and so it's not going, and I'm going on vacation for Labor Day. So we're going to launch it after I get back from my Labor Day vacation. So in this in this case, you can comment on this episode on Twitter. Find us on Twitter, twitter.com slash gkconfidential. I am found at Luke underscore Kerr. Mel, where can they find you? Uh, it is my name at Melody Akles, no spaces, no underscores, none of that. M-E-L-O-D-I-E-A-I-K-E-L-S. And Craig, where can they find you? At Z Movie Maniac. Uh, on Twitter or moviemadnesspodcast.com. If you want to follow us on on Facebook, facebook.com slash gkconfidential. Also, um, if you enjoyed the podcast, be sure to write us a review on iTunes. Give us a rating. We'd definitely appreciate it. Those always help us out. We thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this special episode. Mel, we're for sure going to have you back mm-hmm. when we do the Luke Cage episode after I'm the here. September 30th premiere. Until next time, so long. See y'all Bye, y'all.